are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. I am your host for this episode, Mike, and I am joined tonight by Austin. Hello. Hi, Austin. How you doing? I'm good. It's good. I'm glad to hear that. Again, weird that it's like, hello, we've spent all day together, and now we're introducing ourselves. So, it's funny. Well, the people listening don't know what we've done with our day. It's true. I mean, I technically wasn't in the shop all day. Well, that's true. So, so. You're like, you're practically a stranger again now. God, I'm so sorry. All right. Tonight we are going to be discussing modernizing traditional spiritual practice. And I I felt that this was an important topic for us to be discussing because I think this is one of the underlying issues in our, well, a lot of facets of of our community. When we look at like disagreements and infighting around you know, the right way to do something or ideas around, say, traditional practice, eclectic practice. And, you know, and so I think that this is, again, kind of be something that are going to be a conversation that addresses some of that, I hope, or at the very least, just clarifies some things for our listeners. So one of the things, or I guess the place I want to start is people who aren't part of practices that we would identify as traditional do seem to understand them. Okay. Um, I think that there's this idea that because we identify something as traditional, we're saying that like this is something that reaches back into antiquity and it's never changed. There's never been any kind of evolution. There's never been any kind of syncretism or eclecticism that's been brought into these practices. That, that basically like these have never been things that have evolved or changed in any real way. And that's not true. I think if we're going to, you know, really, if we're being honest about these kinds of, of uh, practices, we, we do need to, to talk a little bit more about the concept of living spiritual traditions. So, Austin, how would you identify a, a living tradition? A living tradition is a tradition that evolves with its practitioners, that evolves with itself, and ultimately evolves with its spirits. Um, again, traditional people hear that word and they think a whole bunch of like Essex witches with sticks up their butt and that's just what it is. And that's just not true. In order for a tradition to continue to live and continue to grow, it has to, otherwise it will die. There's there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So to define what living tradition means, it means that we continue to grow. We continue to grow as our craft and as the practitioners who join it grow. Our, our tradition is a prime example of a living tradition where it grows. And though we have come up with some snags due to, um, you know, one thing or another, um, as we have gained new members, those things have incorporated into our current tradition as is. Okay. So, okay. So I, I, I want to make a distinction here, though. We're not talking about eclectic witchcraft. No. We are still talking about things that are, are inherent to traditions as they exist, but but specifically how these things evolve or change. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. All right. So it's funny you mentioned Essex witches, and now I have the Penzance witches like incantation running through my head. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So one one of the things I, I want to kind of talk about, and I wanted to kind of get this out here again really quickly, is that. We as teachers, we talk a lot about um, the importance of studying old texts. 
um, the, the old information, right? Like the classics, you know, I'm talking like things that could go back as far as say like the Greek magical papyri. Um, in, in more recent years, you know, we've actually seen a lot of uh, debate within our community around the, uh, the validity or how well the works of authors say like Raymond Buckland, Scott Cunningham, how these people have, um, or how their work has been aged, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't really want to get into the uh, political nature of a lot of that debate because that really, to me, that seems to be a lot of what that is. It's really, it's the political nature of those things. But um, getting back to my point, one of the reasons that we talk to our students and we, we express the importance of reading some of these older sources of information is that we need to kind of have that first as a foundation so that as our practice evolves, we can better change it right we can have uh, a better understanding or i would say greater control over how particular things in our practice evolve and change it's like you kind of need to know what something was before you really know what you can make it next right i guess it's kind of the idea 100 percent agree okay well go ahead yeah well i mean if we look at that that we see that in in even wicca you have traditional gardenerian wicca Though there is some debate whether it was Alex Saunders or Gardner who came first. Um, and in my opinion, that's a chicken versus the egg kind of feel. I've always um, been kind of like it was a... It was a, a, it was a joint effort. It was a Doreen Meliente. Mm. Oh, no. I kind of felt like Doreen came first. I mean... I mean, I know she didn't according to all the books and things, but she really seemed to be the one that kind of held the, the, the power there. I, I would agree with that because I do love Doreen. Um, so... But in order for any other form of Wicca to be established, they still had to go through Gardnerian Wicca. They still had to go through the traditional. So all those other types of Wicca out there that we have, Fairy Wicca, Sax Wicca, uh, even Dragon Wicca, Celtic oh, Wicca, so Dianic, Dianic, all of that, so they many. all had to go through <clears throat> the veins of Gardnerian Wicca or Alexandrian Wicca first. Okay. All right. So, so again, we we keep the roots of these traditions, though we understand that we can make them uh, in practice. We can again, we can make them more contemporary. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. So, I, an example of this. Okay, and I want to kind of get your take on this because this is um, a conversation that we've had, um, I think, a few times recently with people who've wandered into the shop. But um, candle magic. Uh huh. Years ago, candles really wouldn't have been the component to witchcraft and folk practice that they have become now. Okay, I mean, for a number of reasons. One, candles way back in the day, for one, they they were really gross to produce, right? You had to like render fat and all, mm-hmm. you know, and then, um, and they could be really expensive, right? You know, and so we, we understand if we look kind of historically at many of these traditions that the candle in its use today really is primarily taking the place of what probably would have been the bonfire or the hearth many, many years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. The embodiment of fire is very much the same, um, you know, but it's something that is, I think, uh, again, more accessible for many people now. So so what's your, what's your take on that? I mean, do, would you would you agree? I would agree with that 100 um, percent. On top of that, candles use back in the day pra- uh, were practical. It was light. You need to be able to see what the fuck you were doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, even in a lot of folk practices, like the ones that I practice, there's such things as lamp magic. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. lamp well, work. I mean, well, you see that. I, I think lamp magic is, 
for sure, I know you're going to go with like the, the conjure and the hoodoo, but if we look at much older practices, lamp magic is something that we're also going to see in like really old Middle Eastern spiritual practice. Yeah. yeah, it's all over the place. It's all over the place because one, practicality of light, mm-hmm. and two, the heat, and the fact that we understood that as things burned in the fire, they were transformed into something else. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Candle magic is the most accessible for most people in this day and age, but it most definitely is not this ancient practice that a lot of people try and make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. One of the other things that I want to talk about uh, to, to kind of support the topic of our podcast tonight is the, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to say it and you know, there, there will probably be people, I, there are always people I think who will, will debate and disagree with some of what we discuss or what we present here in our podcast. But I, I'm, I'm going to actually say the, the reality that spirits also evolve. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I, again, we both, we both have conversations with practitioners, um, who have become stuck in whatever tradition or whatever practice that they may be involved in. Um, and one component of this actually seems to be this uh, growing sense of separation um, from their spirits and gods, right? Um, you know, what was perhaps maybe a really strong connection at the beginning of a practice, you know, over the course of say maybe what, 10, 15, 20 plus years, all of a sudden you start to kind of fall out of connection with some of those spirits or maybe the, the, the relationship just isn't, as, isn't the same, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and where that is at least concerned, I, I would say that, um, you know, that we, a lot of the time, I think the, the reason for that is that the, the human in that situation has been afraid to make changes to their practice because they believe that the other beings that are involved in that tradition or practice are kind of just sitting somewhere always waiting for everything to kind of be done the same. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, and, and, and we know that that's not true. Energy in and of itself is always in a state of evolution of some sort. Um, we are energy. The spirits that we work with are energy. Our gods are energy, right? They, for them not to also evolve and grow and change would really kind of run counter to you know, the overall process of, of really nature in the universe, right? Mm-hmm. So would you agree? I would agree, yes. The spirits okay. spirits are always in a constant state of evolution. I agree with you 100%. I mean, we see that with how even the gods, for those of you who work with gods or venerate gods, are worshipped today. Example, we're both Hecatean practitioners, mm-hmm. and I'm not going around every new moon every dark moon sacrificing black puppies yeah it's funny you said that actually because that was going to be one of my uh basis for this um this this point in our discussion or our our episode today was you know there are people that will debate this once again there will be people out there practitioners out there of, of you know whatever tradition that will be like well that's not true there are still classic ways to do these things there are still ways that we do these things that would be traditional in the sense that this is how it's always been done mm-hmm. But, you know, and maybe that is true. Maybe there are specific things involved in particular practices that have not changed. Mm-hmm. But that, to be honest, I think is really going to be, that that's a rarity now. You know, I mean, you mentioned sacrifice. There... That's a rarity and it's semantics. Yeah. Because deep non is on the dark moon. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. That's, yeah. when it's, that's when it's done. That's how it's done. Deep non, dark moon. All right. New media, new moon. As it grows. But the sacrifices and the practices around them have evolved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do still see 
sacrifice being done. Yes. You know, and we're we're not, you know, we understand, you know, based on respect for different traditions, sacrifice is still a legitimate spiritual practice. Oh, yeah. Um, but we're not seeing uh, human sacrifice specifically uh, being co- as commonly done, which I think, so, I sometimes I lament that. I'm kind of like, yeah, it would be really cool yeah, to be able to. totally not sacrificing humans. Sacrifice this person to our, our, our Totally gods. not sacrificing yeah. humans. Do you have a list too? I have a list. Um, no. No, not at all. Although I'll be completely honest, most of the people that I would probably want to sacrifice to our gods are probably not the kind of people that our gods would want. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have to kind of get past myself there, I think. I mean, I guess... Um, I mean, if we're sacrificing them to Borba Borba... Well, there, I mean, I guess that's one so, option. Yeah. So, right. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about those since we're talking about the evolution of spirit because I know ugh, based on... So many of the, uh, so much of the, the misinformation and the foolishness that we see, particularly on social media platforms that are geared toward witchcraft and alternative spiritual practices, uh, folk practices, whatever. Um, we know that there are a lot of people who would take the concept of something like an evolving god and run with that and make that something really oh, ridiculous. Yes, D and so gods. we need to be really careful when we talk about this concept. Okay, and in no way do I want this to sound contradictory to what we were just saying, but spirits and deities who evolve that do evolve that does not mean that they are going to become something entirely different than what they inherently are okay spirits like the the Lua, the orisha they're always going to be Lua and orisha they're always going to be these spirits and they will always have some degree of influence over whatever it is that they have influenced right mm-hmm. um the goddess diana will always have a strong association with the moon Though yeah. we understand that her manifestation in practice may change over the centuries, yeah. right? The millennia, right? Um, and we can see differences, I think, primarily in the way that they manifest in our world. You know, if we've made the right connection, I think it's less to do with concepts and ideas and really more to do with how we feel their presence evolving and changing. It's not that the gods themselves or the spirits themselves are really growing or changing so much in that it would have, I think, a bit more to do with how we feel them now fitting into our practice and our personal connection with them. That really, I think, is the heart of where we see that change, right? So so what's your take on that? Because I know you've, over the years, you've worked with many different spirits, um, and over the course of the years, you've had new relationships with spirits form. You've said goodbye to particular spirits that you've worked with for a long time. And and during the course of your work with them, I'm sure components of your practice had to have changed. Oh, most definitely. You're making it sound like I'm a strumpet. Uh, a strumpet. <laughs> you're a, you're a, a spiritual... I, I call it spiritual... Uh, uh, you I'm a, a spiritual slut. Are you a deity? You're, you're a deity or a spiritual hooker. <sighs> we're, not, we're not shaming sex workers because sex work is legitimate work. Exactly. But, um, um, yeah. Uh, no, I just, so, so yes, yes. Example, when I was doing Wicca, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my practice looked very different than what it looks like I love how now. you say that. I love how you say doing Wicca instead of just saying when I was a Wiccan. When I was a Wiccan. No, 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 no. They're both no, acceptable. No, 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 I no. Just, I just love that. No. When I was doing Wicca. No, no, it's okay. When I was Wiccan, uh, my practice looked substantially different than how I how I do it now before I'd go and I do any form of ritual or spell work I would cast a circle I would I would I you know evoke the elemental quarters 
I like had an entire process for that one five minute money ritual that I needed to do or that money spell. And now as I've grown as, and as I've evolved, we see um, I, I'm a little bit more like just kind of off the cuff whenever I need it. Um, it doesn't matter where I'm at. Uh, when I was working in the Morrigan, I was a little bit more uh, aggressive, I guess, is a good word for it. And working aggressively with the Morrigan? Okay. What? Um, and it, it reflected in my craft. My I used a lot of aggressive maneuvers, a lot of aggressive wording, a lot of aggressive tone. I don't uh, think that's changed. Shut up. Yeah, see? Um, but it it was much more aggressive, abrasive, and battle cry. Now that I'm more in alignment with Hecate and our, and our current coven spirits, I, um, I wouldn't say that I'm less bombastic, but I'm most definitely a little bit more reserved personally when it comes to even my own personal practice. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like I just babbled for a minute. Sorry. Well, guys. so I guess to clarify though, based on the way that you you put that, so that that to me almost sounds like uh, a, a like an evolution that was really primarily about you and your practice, because in that situation, I guess well, guess in in asking you that question or in asking if you could maybe relate a personal experience along those lines. During the course of time that you found yourself working with the Morrigan, mm-hmm. um, though you indicated that you found elements of your personal practice and your approach maybe evolving or changing, did you necessarily feel any change or evolution within the Morrigan herself? Yes. Yes. Uh, I never got warm, fuzzy mother energy from her. Okay. And I remember upon reading historically about her, she didn't really have warm fuzzy mother stories Mm -hmm. right yeah um but as i evolved and as i started really stepping further into my sovereignty and saying no even to her um i got not a warm fuzzy mother but more of a like like a kind kind of like okay you're tired we got this crawl up on in your bed I'll read you a story about how I cast labor pains on an entire place and we're going to go to bed. You know, um, I got a more calm and accepting energy from her. And then as I grew away from her and said goodbye to her, that energy became much less prevalent. You know, if I would light a candle, usually working with the Morrigan, it would be boom and it would be there and very prevalent and then near the end of my time going away with her i she didn't want fire she didn't want candles she her taste in offerings and liquor even changed so yes okay cool all right well thank you for sharing that did did that make sense i am i i'm gonna say yes um and move on um I, I mean, I, I can I can relate to that experience, you know, um, and I think it's it's also probably good to mention that we we understand that the time uh, or the time that would be involved in these kinds of situations when we talk about practices and things changing and evolving, we understand that that time as we measure it and as we experience it as mortals as humans is going to be very different 
for these spirits, right? You know, and so I guess, again, to be very clear in talking about the way that many of these gods can change and evolve, um, again, I want to say it has less to do with aspects perhaps of the deity or the spirit that are evolving and changing and more to do with the way that they are fitting into your personal connection with them, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of what this is, yes. right? Um, not that they don't also personally evolve. We, we know that they do. Um, all right, so, you know, to, to really kind of hammer this in, you know, uh, or drive this home, you know, I want to talk about a few other examples of how we can see we have, you know, evidence of, of the way that many practices have changed over the years. And I'm going to be fairly broad here because, you know, I don't really want to focus, you know, on one particular tradition or one practice, you know, because this is a, a phenomena. This is something that affects every spiritual practice, right? But um, so some that I want to talk about, you know, um, one that I, I know that we hear a lot of debate on, even just recently, um, I think there was something that I saw somewhere about uh, this dispute over the significance of color in contemporary practice. Okay. And I think if we, we look historically, like you know. Like candle color? Yeah, well, candle color, you know, just, just the association of color in, in uh, particularly in spell work. Okay. You know, and I think if we look historically, there are certainly references to color, you know, as it would maybe relate to particular uh, spirits or deities, you know, um, you know, yeah, you know, but but I think we, we have to, you know, really look very carefully at that because I think our, our contemporary understanding of the significance of color, whether it be the color of a candle, whether it be... I got one you dealt with just recently, the color of salt to be used in a particular working, right? Like uh, that, that our ideas around this, like these are very contemporary things. Yes, they are. You know, years ago, color would not have carried the significance that it does now. Mm -mm. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do really more with our psychology as humans and the way that we are, are taught, I think, by our culture and our society to relate to, um, well visual stimuli right of you know color um so um one of the other ones that i find is interesting is the addition of items to our spiritual practices that we wouldn't have available to us years ago mm -hmm. right like we understand that you know because of the way that our technology and our you know travel these kinds of things have kind of evolved over the years or or, or you know changed over the years that you you can get that herb that grows on the other side of the world that never would have been available to you. Um, and I think that's also something that causes some complication in practice, right? I mean, I know you've, you've had this conversation with people where, you know, they're, oh, the other day, a young woman came in looking for this list of ingredients to do this spell that she pulled from some ridiculous book that obviously was written by someone who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. And she's looking for all these really exotic things, you know, and in trying to, you know, trying to help her through that, you know, I listened in on that conversation that you had. And in trying Eavesdropper. to help her, I was in the next room and the door is open. What do you want? Um, but, you know, actually sitting and saying like, you know, like this might be something that you were told you needed to do this, but this is a plant that is native to Asia. You're not going to find this here commonly, mm -hmm. you know, um, at like even in a shop like ours, like a metaphysical store, this is probably not going to be an herb that's commonly going to be carried oh, yeah. because it's either very difficult to harvest. It's protected. Many of these herbs are, are, are endangered. They are protected. Um, and they're too expensive mm -hmm. to ship internationally. So you, you're going to need to find something else. Mm -hmm. If you need an herb that does this, try to find something that's here in the area. You know, we talked uh, in recent uh, you know episodes, we talked so much about the genus loci, right? And working and, and, and respecting and honoring those spirits. Um, so 
that's one of the other things that I've seen um, really kind of evolve and change and influence so much of our practice over the years, right? Um, what about the physical representations of many of our spirits and gods? Like the way they look is something that's constantly evolving as well. What's your what's your take on that? I, I would agree with that. I mean, there are some constants, obviously. Um, using Hecate as an example, okay. um, usually there are always hounds involved, and she's mm-hmm. almost always holding a torch. Yeah. Almost always. But her robe mm-hmm. has shifted. I've not mm-hmm. seen one statue where she's wearing a saffron robe. Well, I mean, I think it's difficult to do that when you're dealing with, like, you know, bronzed statues. Well, but... yeah, but also a lot of the artwork that we see. I don't see yeah. a lot of saffron robes. Well, I think she's become so overly associated with the moon and with night. Yes. Like, her, her aspect of being a light bearer, I think, has really kind of been cast aside by mm-hmm. a lot of mo- modern practitioners. Yeah, well, and just, I mean, she used to be three-faced or a little bit more i don't want to say haggard but haggard looking why well, well okay so i mean if we, you look at hecate's associations in some of the older texts like the classic texts mm-hmm. she was never really depicted as like a, a crone no or she as, was also as never depicted as a maiden old either. woman exactly you know and particularly then I think a it, sexy maiden holding a torch yeah, aloft with a snake wrapped yes around her. oh god yes i i want to say is i think like a bunch of like very I think all, all of the people that sculpt the statues for our, a lot of our deities now, they're all, like, incels. They're all, like, like perverted teenage boys that have big boob fetishes or something. Because, yes, I get so sick. Of every warrior goddess out there has to have an enormous rack. And I'm just, like, I'm just, it's ridiculous. Anyway. Uh, with anyway, hardly any but, armor. Yes, yes. And wearing hardly anything. Exactly. Um, you know, anyway, but getting back to that. So I think if in, in over, say, I want to say in recent years, but really these are not recent years. This is, you know, easily a good, uh, Oberon Zell. Okay. I think Oberon Zell was the one that I think in the 1900s, that, like, you know, what was 60s, 70s, I think is kind of really when he and Morning Glory kind of got real big. Um, they were the ones I think that really kind of pushed. It was Oberon Zell that really kind of pushed this concept of like the crone Hecate. Yeah, you know, I think prior to that, you never really saw her solely, or, or she was never really like entirely depicted in that form. Mm-hmm. Her older forms also, she appears with like her, where her heads, she has the heads of animals. Yeah, right. You know, so she has the the mare, the bull, and the dog. Well, and they changed too. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there there were different animals in in depicted in some of those old statues and texts. So, what about some of the other gods? Because I think we've seen a few other things in some of our other deities and spirits. Most definitely. I mean, um, a really prime one is Persephone. Uh, Persephone was young. Mm-hmm. She was a young maiden. And then a lot of the statues that come out make her look like um, like a childbearing adult. Yeah, yeah. She's like very buxom. and Yeah. yeah. And then mm-hmm. uh, other ones like uh, Diana. Yeah. Diana, a virginal goddess who would most likely be robed, mm-hmm. um, is basically like, you know, run around the forest naked, which, I mean, yeah. she would also probably do because Queen of Fairies, but still. Yeah. You know, and then if we go to like even other ones like the Morrigan, she was a warrioress. Mm-hmm. She was not, I mean, she was also a goddess of sexuality, mm-hmm. but she was a war goddess first and foremost. And so yeah. seeing these highly 
sexualized depictions of her with a sword that's just loosely at her side. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah it's, it's kind of, it's, I, I won't say it's demeaning, but it seems to almost be uh, diminishing. Uh, humanizing and fetishizing. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, those are good words. And that's something that I did, like, um, I, I did videos on, is like the humanization of these primordial spirits, yeah. which is going to happen because we're humans and we do that. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a point where it's like, okay, Let's actually look at the historical contexts of these things and realize that while, yes, they evolve, these are spirits that predate our concept of what we're trying to place upon them. One, but I, I also want to say I think that that is um, as you know as we're looking at again about the concepts of, of how these these are the concept of how these things evolve a lot of these things when we look at the particularly the physical representations for many of these spirits and gods so many of those are going to be rooted in the psychology of the societies mm-hmm. that are supporting that are that are, are you know involved with the worship uh, you know of these spirits you know we see um, okay so here for a perfect example okay in the last few years we know and this is not something that is just a a united states a u.s issue this is this is something that is happening worldwide right but we've had uh movements around supporting you know black indigenous and people of color you know we've had Mm -hmm. the black lives matter movement we've had the missing and murdered indigenous women's movement like we've had all of these things that have brought so much attention to you know black indigenous and other people of color Right. Um, you know, these marginalized groups of people that for, you know, years and years and years have been treated so badly, um, you know, by different communities. But um, but in the in the process of, of, of that discussion, one of the things that I've seen come to light or, or um, has been more perhaps openly, freely discussed is that many of these deities, many of these spirits that we've known and have connected with over the years, that many of these people like these are these would have been people of color oh most definitely if this if this goddess or if this spirit was human this would have been a person of color mm-hmm. you know i think um i got into a debate with someone i think it's probably been well over a year ago now but i got into an argument with someone I, an argument's probably too strong a word it was you know a, a bit of a, a disagreement yes you know and, and it you know and it was an it was an amicable kind of thing at the end it was kind of like okay well you know we're, we're free to kind of both you know feel the way that we feel about this because you know at the end of the day who the hell knows and you know um also for the sake of our our individual work as uh, spiritual practitioners it really it doesn't matter you know um, but but i got into a, a, a discussion with someone a heated discussion with someone about uh medusa specifically who is not a goddess those of you who are listening who love medusa and i assure you we also love medusa otherwise i wouldn't have an incense for her medusa is not a goddess okay um yeah um but anyway but we there are actually texts there is actually written information that describes medusa that identifies where she would have come from mm-hmm. the area of the world even down to the way she wore her hair I'm not talking like Medusa the monster. I'm talking when she was a, a mortal, a human woman before she was turned into a gorgon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was she a priestess? She was. Yeah, In she one was of her stories, she was a priestess of Athena. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, and but, but the stories around her as a mortal woman prior to being turned into a gorgon make it very clear that she would have been a, a, a dark-skinned woman who most likely had braids or dreadlocks in her hair. Mm-hmm. You know, as was a as, as was a common way, plated, braided 
hair would this would have been common in the culture of origin mm-hmm. uh, you know and so so I think it's just it's interesting to me because these these also these seem to be things when we talk about the changing representations of many of our gods and spirits we, we can see absolutely how these are things that have changed based on where we are at as humans I, you know I, to, to kind of throw that a different spin on that you you I'm sure must agree that the majority of the people out there when you hear the name Thor, immediately picture what's his name chris hemsworth Hemsworth. chris hemsworth from the marvel movies Mm -hmm. right and that's that's their thor that is the thor that comes into their mind maybe not everybody but a good number of people particularly Mm -hmm. people who are not really truly familiar with thor as a norse deity Mm -hmm. will will they're they're going to go right to that representation right Mm -hmm. and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that Right? There's nothing wrong with that. If you'd like to think that Thor looks like Chris Hemsworth, you know, wonderful, whatever, right? Um, but probably not, right? Um, anyway, so agricultural changes is another one that I think that we've seen. Um, you know, and I, what I mean by that really is um, the way that we work and connect with the physical land, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for instance, okay, so years ago, um, most uh, communities, you know, it would have been very common for us as humans to raise our villages and our towns, our settlements, whatever they may be, to raise those near like bodies, like natural water, right? Like fresh water, like a lake, a river, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. We needed, we need water, right? We need, you know, and so, so it would have been very common. And I think as a result, you would have found in certain cultures because of that, that, and, and we know this to be true, many of the more popular deities, many of the more popular pantheons come from areas of the world where there was, you know, these were oceanic, these were water or, or deities associated with water and, mm-hmm. and flowing water, rivers, lakes, you know, these kinds of things, you know, because we understand as humans, water is such a precious and, and important thing, right? Um, but we, we now know because of ad- advancements in, you know, engineering and, and particularly agricultural engineering, like that the practitioner that lives in the middle of the desert, they, all they have to do is go into their kitchen and turn on a tap and they have access to fresh water. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is another way, I think, you know, that we've seen evolution or change to practice, you know, back in the day. And if you wanted to be able to communicate effectively with a spirit, you, you needed to go visit the river. Right. And now not so much. Again, that's this has changed. So um, do you have any others? Can you think of any others? I just I, I love the, the tools this kind that of, we kind of conversation. The tools. Yeah. That we yeah. I mean. The tools that we would have used back in traditional, uh, you know, traditionally, depending on the region you were in, would have been very basic. They would have been tools that would have been associated um, with everyday life. Uh, I just reread Traditional Witchcraft, A Book of Cornish Ways by Jim and Gary. And when reading that book, she talks about how the witch would the or the cunning person would take walks with their staff mm-hmm. or their stang and the practicality of it is that's a big old stick if something comes up on you you can beat it yeah but also uh the other tools that they had were other than the stang was obviously a knife mm-hmm. to cut and harvest herbs uh dirt uh containers you know these are things that witches would normally have or practitioners magical practitioners and even in folk magic we see that with the evolution and the rise of wicca we had all of these other tools added 
I, I mean, athame, bowline, sword, three different types of blades for very specific and different reasons. Uh, uh, you had the stang and the staff, which were also very different, but also you had the besom. Uh, you had your wand, you had your pentacle patent, you have your chalice, you have your cauldron, you have the this, you have the that. And now, because of and that... And you're using all of these, these things while skyclad. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah, because juggling a sword and multiple bladed implements while naked seems like and a heavy a crown idea. that has antlers on it yeah and a heavy crown that has a huge old sickle moon on it and obviously the heavy jewelry that comes with it you know we we see these things and then all these new practitioners think that they need all of that yeah and we go back to the roots of traditional witchcraft you had your knife you had your bowl and container and you probably had a staff but it wasn't really just a staff it was also a walking stick because if you're going out and walking the lands you might need a little bit of support and also protection yeah you might need to beat off the buka or muggers and loose women possibly yes i don't know but we've seen that now evolve into other things and what once was thought to be you have to have a black-handled, double-sided blade that never cuts a physical well, thing. Well, and that's the influence of, of high ceremonial magic, mm-hmm. though, that we see kind of brought into Wicca. That Which is again, also a very privileged practice. Kind of funneled through, I think, a lot of the appropriated information of the Golden Dawn. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, and not that there isn't power there, um, or that that, that isn't a, a perfectly acceptable practice. You know, it is. But, um, but high ceremonial magic is not traditional witchcraft. No, it's not. And so we see this evolution of needing these things and that's being pressed that you need these tools, you need these tools and we, we don't. So I think along the lines of our, our craft and our practice needing to evolve and evolving as it does, I also think some of it needs to devolve. Oh, okay. I mean, that's an interesting conversation. Cause, but, and in that situation, again, we're not necessarily talking about spirits no. and gods, right? Because that they're their own intelligence, they're mm-hmm. their own thing. But, they're going to do what they want that, to do. That's an interesting take, yeah. So so you're you're really, you're kind of uh, going back to kind of like the the agenda of like of simplicity, mm-hmm. right? In our practice. Practicality. Which, yes, which a lot of people would not agree that I am. I like my bits and my bobs just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. I I have a willow staff and I have an ebony wand and a willow wand. Like I have all these different tools, yes. but I, they're each for a very specific purpose and I will rarely, rarely, rarely use them unless that purpose comes up. Most of the time I'm using my, my knife and my cauldron. And really, I think that's about it. Actually, I think those are like my main my main proponents of, of craft that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, something that, that has light or fire, mm-hmm. and it's something that I push a lot—not push, but encourage a lot of newer witches to do uh, when they show up and they come in and they're looking for this and they need all these fancy things. And I'm like, just, just use a kitchen knife, yeah, you know. Yeah. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. And this idea that the mundane and the magical should never touch is probably one of the reasons why your magic's not working. Well, and that runs counter to a lot of what we teach. You know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, where there's kind of, again, 
people are, I think, are, are paying more attention to this now. But, you know, we, we've talked for years and years and years about this compartmentalization that happens where you see people who are struggling to really feel and experience growth in their spiritual practice and the, really the reason for that is because they are they're like they're weekend witches yeah they're only right? a witch every other Tuesday where yeah where they're you know where they're you know they're they're all they're gung-ho and they've got you know their candles going and their spells are flying you know every you know every Thursday night right and then the, they for only the, do magic on the full moon exactly you know and then the rest of the time you know they're you know they're yeah. So, you know, so, yeah. So I think going back to, you know, as you were saying, kind of this idea of like, you know, incorporating the magical with the mundane more, even in the process of just, you know, tools that kind of cross some of these lines of use is, again, I think maybe a good way to do that, an effective way to do that. Tools so, and plant spirits. So, well, exactly. Yeah. Right. When we talk about, you know, plant spirits, particularly those maybe that we're also inclined to use medicinally or to cook with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. All right. Cool. One other thing, and this is going to kind of take me back to what I was mentioning a moment ago with, like, advances to, like, engineering and agriculture, but um, but also science, just science in general, um, I think has uh, also, uh, the progress of science, I think, is also something that's really heavily influenced contemporary spiritual practice. You know, um, we, under, we just, we understand so much more about how our planet works, you know, we, we understand uh, much more about, say, like, even, like, down to, like, the elemental structure of the universe, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even things like physical law, like gravity, magnetism, these kinds of like we understand these things so much more now, you know, and I think that if we look at older practices and even information that would pop up in some of like these, these, again, these classic texts, we can see reference, we can see reference to these these things that we understand now is like, oh my God, that was the influence of gravity. Yeah. That, that had to be in reference there. That's what this was. Or this was, you know, yeah, you know, so so I think that that as we have progressed in, again, in mundane ways, you know, with, through our science, you know, I think that we've also seen that, you know, drastically uh, affect or evolve what we've done as witches and as spiritual practitioners. Um, one, one thing I've always struggled with kind of along those lines is people who are, who claim to be witches and folk practitioners and you know or whatever they may be magicians whatever the title cultists whatever the title may be and they claim to be this and then they turn around and they also claim they're also science deniers i've never understood that like how you can reconcile that because in order to really effectively work any kind of spiritual magical tradition you have to believe in science you have to um, I just, I don't understand that. That's always been like a huge, like, what the, what the fuck? Plebeians. Ple- plebeians? Yeah. I, there are some people who have to absolutely remove and disconnect themselves from the physical mundane world to feel an ounce of spirituality, to feel <laughs> a fraction of magic. And that is because in their mind, they cannot weave together that the magic, the mundane, science, medicine, they are all intricate things woven into the tapestry that is life. Hmm. Witches who refuse to get vaccinated. Witches who refuse refuse to go to the doctor for cancer again these are all very personal 
things for oh, people yeah. to well, do. Yeah, and if you choose not to be vaccinated for COVID, that's your choice. And just vaccinated in general, yes. But claiming to be spiritually aware and awakened and then shaming or making up convoluted conspiracy theories around why no one should believe the science Mm -hmm. tells me that you lack sovereignty and you don't have the ability to think for yourself though you think that's what you're doing that's just a weird thing like my mind is like spinning on that now because this is another conversation that I've had recently, not with a, a witch, but with a, a new age mentality, a light worker. Ew. Um, and it's it's the weirdest thing. And it, it, it was kind of one of those moments where I was like, if I could pat myself on the back right now, I would, you know, and then I had to like, okay, Mike, check your ego. But um, this idea in talking with this person about, you know, they're, you know, she's, she's saying, well, you know, my child is autistic, you know, and, you know, or is on the autism spectrum and, you know, and that, you know, and I know that that's because he's an ascended soul. You know, my child is a, is a star seed, you know, that old star seed bullshit, right. Um, which drives us crazy, you know? Um, and then beyond that going into, and of course I had to pick this fight because I'm a dick, but but going into the whole concept of like, well, what's your belief for like the, say like the physical cause for autism and, you know, and that kind of led us to the concept of vaccination and how for a, a while there, but it's like, oh, well, don't vaccinate your children because vaccinations will cause autism. And then there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, if vaccinations cause autism and your understanding is that autism is an indication that your child is a star seed and you want your child to be a star seed because that means they're an ascended soul, shouldn't you get your kid vaccinated? shouldn't you be like oh yeah like i you know i i want to get you vaccinated so that you'll maybe as you grow you'll 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 you know you'll become you know you'll fall somewhere on that autism spectrum and then i can go oh how great for me i have a starseed child did you go there with this person i did i did and it was kind of cool in that in the moment that some of that came out because i think i actually like i think i i actually witnessed like a mini stroke (laughs) ah Like, like she just got really quiet, I think, because it had never, like, the, someone had, those pieces had never been connected for her in that way. Um, anyway, she got really quiet, and she left the store very quickly. We'll just say that. Um, anyway, so. With an interaction in the shop. Yeah, oh, yeah, this happened, like, this happened a long time ago. And it's just been one of those things that I just kind of have kept to myself. Because I am not really... You know, I, I have some very firmly held beliefs on these things, you know, and, I'll, and I, again, I, the, the whole Starseed thing is bullshit. We know it's rooted in white supremacist spiritual movement, or, you know, uh, the white supremacist spiritual movement. And ableism. Of the, and ableism of the, of the early 19, that originated in, well, I shouldn't say it originated in the early 1900s, but it kind of came to prominence in the, you know, the early, it's a mid-1900s. But, um, so, yeah, for sure, the whole Starseed thing, absolute crap, bullshit, will never, but, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, like, choice of vaccination, these kinds of things, you know, I'm like that again, that that's, that's up to you. If that's your choice, you know, I, I think you should get vaccinated because it's the responsible thing to do. And we're all kind of in this together. But if you really feel that you're not going to do this, mm-hmm. wonderful. Don't get vaccinated, mm-hmm. but then do the rest of us a favor and stay fucking home. So, or wear so that we don't have to breathe your air. Right. Um, and then again, also, you know, the whole like vaccinations cause autism. Again, I just want to say like, that's bullshit. Like even the science, again, the science will support that that is not the case, but anyway, 
without really going into any kind of specific practices, okay? Because I want us to kind of maybe like, hopefully get, like get a little more practical here. I think we, we've kind of discussed some practical things here, but in the concept of, you know, taking something that would be like an older spiritual practice and contemporizing it, you know, um, modernizing these kinds of things, what, what are some examples? What would you maybe, what would you suggest to our listeners, like ways that they could maybe do this or maybe ways that they're already doing this, but they're not consciously aware, like, oh yeah, this used to be done this way. Can you think of any that we already haven't maybe gone over? This is going to be weird. Hmm? And this falls in, more into the realm of like paganism, like polytheism, working with deities. Okay. Yeah. Um, but remember that technology to the ancients was things like indoor plumbing. Mm -hmm. uh, was things like uh, being able to light a candle and utilize a reflective surface to illuminate an area. That was technology. Mm -hmm. And so the gods that they would have associated with those types of actions would now be gods of modern day technology. Mm -hmm. So some of those gods would be... Um, like uh, Hephaestus or yeah. uh, Hermes, even mm -hmm. Mercury. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't necessarily connect those things. Yeah. Just like gods of sovereignty or war or, or anything like that. Well, I mean, Not that war and, so I was war say, and yeah, so sovereignty and war are different things. Um, <laughs> but like gods of sovereignty would be really really great for individuals who are like i want to be the ceo or okay. i want to start my own business yeah gods of sovereignty would be great for entrepreneurs yeah you know we all see obviously musicians and artists gods like apollo mm -hmm. but also who would be the gods of doctors who would be the gods of scientists asclepius who would be who would be these things and so that's one way we can see the modern the modern evolution of our craft. Okay. And well, that's an that's again that. that's specific to spirits and deities. What about like actual just practice? Can you think of things that would be like, oh yeah, like you know, back in the day, you know, it, you know, older practices, not just necessarily based around spiritual practice, but just archaeological evidence we have of how people hundreds of years ago maybe did something. Mm -hmm. You know, this would have been, or this what the way that you're doing this today would be kind of like the modern version of. You're good. I don't want to put you on the spot. You know, I'm just I, like I say. I just I was wondering if you had because we because we really we did we volunteered a few. You know, we tarot cards. About a few. Tarot cards. Tarot cards. Okay, can you elaborate on that? Tarot cards were originally supposed to be gifted to you, apparently. Um, okay. And there's also well, no, this that's, theory that's, going around. That's true because they would have been very familiar. expensive. Well, yeah, because they were hand painted by artists, not because of any spiritual implication, yeah. but because of that. Now, go and buy your own fucking deck of tarot cards. Find the one that you like. You know, there's also this idea that you should steal your first deck of tarot cards, which also comes from the Ew. idea. Where'd that come from? I don't know. But that also comes from, like, they're expensive. I want them, so I'm going to steal them because I can't afford them. Hmm. Um, please don't do that. We'll I get you. I haven't heard that. Yeah. If you're going to steal anything, don't steal, steal spiritual tools and don't steal from a witch. Oh, my God. I just, I think we've talked about that on the podcast before, but do not take from a witch. They will get you. Um, they, they don't even need to know who you are. They just need to know that somebody took something. That's all it takes. Um, there's 
that, I mean, making making a servitor, a lot of people go to, you know, I have to have a kiln, I have to bake the clay, and I have to do this. Mm-hmm. No, go get some fucking air dry clay. That fun shit that air dries really, really quick. That'll work just yeah. as well. Yeah. How about you? I, I, I'm drawing blanks. <clears throat> You're drawing blanks. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I really, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I just, I really just wanted to see you if totally there were to put me on any the spot. of those. Usually, yeah, I, I do, I do enjoy putting you on the spot. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, like I said, without going specifically into uh, particular practices, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, I hesitate really to kind of volunteer anything more. So, so I think we're we're good. We're good. Um, yeah, but and I think that you know we we've kind of we've pre- presented a few things that I, I would hope would maybe give people some. Um, you know, some some pause to think a little Practical. bit about what they're doing, how they're doing things. Practical approaches to um, witchcraft. Oh God, we're usually so on point with that. I mean, practical. Well, it's not necessarily practical because I mean, the old ways were practical. For, certainly, they well, had certainly. to be. They had to be. But you know, but I think um, I, don't, I don't know. You know, just yeah, we just we yeah. For all the things that are wrong in our our community in our world right now you know there still is a whole lot that is is actually kind of really working to our benefit and i don't know i don't know i just you know maybe some of our listeners can can send us some messages and let us know how they've found ways to modernize some of their own practices based on the way that maybe they understood people who were involved in those traditions did it before so oh you got something i got something okay i was about to segue but go for it so the idea of doing hardcore trance-induced divination, though still is practiced today and still can be used, mm-hmm. um, that's, that, that can be evolved. We now have things like binaural beats. You can, okay. you can yeah. plug those things into your ears and breathe for a few minutes and then help get your mind going and open up for divination. Okay. Um, you want to have a feeling of weightlessness go to a um go to a float spa okay yeah allow yourself to float and in there i guarantee you'll probably have an easier time astral projecting because you won't fill your body mm-hmm. um oh okay i think i'm i think i'm getting it oh, you found your found your flow huh um it's funny that you mentioned binaural beats because if you if you do you think that is, that is kind of a good example of something that is uh, not I would say not a new kind of a thing because they've been you know that that's mm-hmm. been around for a while now but but if we look at the methods that would have been utilized you know many many years ago you know to kind of access those trance states you know we're looking at old cultures that would openly have used entheogenic herbs oh yeah um, you know they would have very elaborate ritual processes mm-hmm. that involved really intense like trance ceremonial work you know like to this day in indigenous cultures like you have uh, tribes here in the u.s that, that have like like the Sundance, mm-hmm. where people will dance and dance for hours and hours and they ultimately many of them they they, they collapse from exhaustion mm-hmm. but it is in that state that they are then able to to kind of move into the spirit world um so yeah so that would i think that would be a perfect example of how we can see modern uh modern practice or, or kind of a, a change there so what else mm-hmm. what else should you have um, oh, oh, it just left. I was going to say a compass round, but then I was like, eh. Oh. I, has the compass round really, you know, I'm familiar with the compass round, but based on my 
my knowledge and the way that I see that being applied in more contemporary practice, I don't really see that it's changed much. <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be like, what the hell is the compass round? It's, and if you don't know what it is, don't worry, about don't worry it. about it because it's a very archaic term. It does still have reference and, and use in some practices, but not many. Um, yeah. What were you going to say? I'm though. I'm curious, Austin. Strike that printers. We now have printers instead of sitting down and trying to draw out the second pentacle of Jupiter yourself. Mm-hmm. You can just, Print it out on a piece of paper. You can jujul it. You can jujul it. And then just print it out. Yeah. Okay. So there's so many things that we have that are yeah. just so accessible in modern day craft. I'm trying to think like of things that people have come in and are like, older is better, older is better, older is better. There, there's for some people, there's kind of that mindset. Which is okay. You know, I have certain things where I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, no, the older, like, quote unquote, traditional way yeah. is most definitely going to be the most effective way to handle this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we love that stuff, but, but we also, we, you know, we need to be, we, you know, we, we need to be realistic about our time and our energy and our mm-hmm. resources and the availability of some of those old things. Well, I mean, a really good example. Nancy from the craft got it right. When a witch would betray their coven, mm-hmm. she would get killed. Now if a witch betrays her coven, they're kicked out of the coven, they're blocked on Facebook and all social media platforms, and their numbers removed from the from the coven book list. Oh my god. That's that's an even worse death. Because they at least, just simply cease to not at, exist. At least, at least if you die, like you're you're done. The other one, like you're just you're <clears> kinda of like in this limbo, right? And you have to try to find a way to move on after you've betrayed your coven. I mean, I guess. If I were back in there and I and we had to kill kill the coven member, I'd just trap their soul and make them do my bidding. Yeah, but that's because you're a wicked witch. So, no, I don't know. I love I love those interactions with people that are like, oh yeah, the old ways were better. And I was like, what are you Amish? Like I just want to say like, what, what? Um, Electric. Like, how did you like? How did you get here today? You drove a car. Battery <laughs> operated altar candles. Oh, okay. Now, now even I am now kind of like ew gross no because the battery operated altar candles that we can get some of them if you get the nice ones are actually made out of wax well i'm talking about the source because it's not really fire in that situation although you do still have a chemical reaction with the battery right then it it is generating electricity and heat a little bit yeah yeah sometimes yeah sometimes and what is electricity other than spicy fire that's true electricity is spicy fire yeah okay cool all right. Well, all right, sir. I was gonna I was gonna segue to, to you know kind of our, our usual segment here. What's what's going on in our world? I guess I guess I shouldn't say this is our usual segment because we do a few different things now at the end of these episodes. Um, what's going on in the world right now that kind of has you like, oh yeah, like some some magic kind of directed to the situation would be helpful. I mean, to supplement mundane effort, right? We can't always just rely on the spells. We've got to, we've got to actually get off our asses and do something. You think I, of anything? I can't think of anything. I mean, I've got, I've got one. Okay. Okay. And this really pissed me off today. Like, I was, I was madder than I probably w- than was warranted given the, the situation. But I am so sick and I gotta be very careful because I don't want like the Secret Service to show up at our front door tomorrow but I am so sick of Mitch McConnell that turtle faced motherfucker needs to die 
And I'm, not, and I'm not saying I'm going to kill the man, but I am so sick of him. And what pissed me off today is he, uh, I guess, talked with the press today and said that he was going to vote against the Supreme Court nomination of Katanji Brown as the, the new judge that was appointed or the, that is looking to be appointed by, uh, I guess, by, he would be by, or she, excuse me, she, she would be Biden's appointee to the Supreme Court. Um, and so, and I'm like, Why? This is a, a woman with a, a you know, a, a, she's she's been a good judge. She, you know, she was an attorney for years. You know, like, I mean, this is someone who, like, she's she's worked her ass off. You know, particularly as a woman of color, you know that she had, like, everything was stacked against her mm-hmm. as she rose through the ranks of the, the criminal justice system. And, you know, and she's presented very well, from my understanding, in these, in the congress, congressional, um, oh, God, what are they called? Basically, you know, she's been interviewed by the Congress by Congress for the last two or three days now, and you know, and she's really she's she's dealt with a lot of abuse, mainly from you know, white Southern Republican men. Ew. Um. Yes. Yes. The worst people. But um. But and now after all that and after showing so well, you know, um, and with even with all her history, she we've got this this douche that's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to vote against her, and I'm like, why? For, for what reason? Because she's a threat. What's your basis? And that's exactly it. She is a black woman. And he is a crusty old white douche who needs to die. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so looking at that situation now that I've had a chance to kind of vent my spleen. Looking at that situation. Um, because really as, as you know, we're, we're, you know, as American citizens, you know, we really don't have the, in the, in the immediate moment, we don't really have the power to really influence her nomination or her appointment, whether or not she actually makes it to the Supreme Court or not, right? Um, but on a magical level, what could be done? What would you maybe think of as you're you're thinking about this? What what could be done to maybe sway opinion or to ease her appointment? Ooh, a honey jar. Okay. And how how would how would the the use of a honey jar work for a situation like this? Um, to sweeten the disposition and opinions, okay, of those who would not want to see her there, um, basically in extended glamour work, they see that they see all of her hard work and they see that she is a good person and they see that they she would be a good fit, okay. Um, That's how I'd work that. Okay, all right. <clears throat> who would you target on that specifically, though? Like, who would who would be, who's in your jar? Who's the, who, who is that directed against? Well, she would be in the jar. Okay. Um, but I would also put, basically, every Southern white Republican senator in there. You would trap that poor woman in a jar with those people? That's terrible. With honey, they would just, they would be, they'd be on her, like, Ew. flies on shit. That's a disturbing thought. Um, <clears throat> for her, I mean. Um, anyway. Okay. Or. Okay. Or. All right. Yes. Okay. Or. Just. Break Mitch McConnell's turtle shell. Turtle shell. Well, we don't support animal cruelty on our podcast. And and again, we don't want the Secret Service showing up at our doorstep tomorrow. So again, I want to make it very clear. We are not threatening Mitch McConnell's life. If something terrible were to happen to him, I would not be upset. 
but I am not going to be directly responsible for that terrible thing, whatever it may be. Um, okay, so I like your idea for a honey jar around that. You know, oh, like a I domination think, spell or like a like a glamour. Yeah, so I was just going to say like a glamour something. You know, and, and working that a bit differently, shaping a working around again, kind of uh, you know, like she really she really is the best candidate. Yeah, you know, like anyone else that may potentially even be considered is really going to just. They're, they're just not going to cut it. They're not going to be anywhere near her her level of skill or knowledge or experience. And, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. I know there's there's a lot of other stuff going on in our world right now. And I, you know, it was... I'm wondering where the flags were at half-mass. Um, were the flags at half-mass yeah, today? Yeah, the, flag, the flags across the street were at half-mass. Oh, I have no idea. I'm not sure. I don't know. We're not coming up on Memorial Day. I don't. Well, I mean, Memorial, That's not Memorial Day is still like two months away. I I can't think. I mean, I, you know, we understand usually, you know, someone has died if that's the case. But I, I can't think of anyone that has passed in recent days that would be warranting that kind of attention. Now I now I gotta I gotta get online and I gotta see who the hell who the hell's died. Um, <clears throat> that's okay. Anyway. All right. Cool. All right. Can you think of any others? Any other situations going on that you're like, oh yeah, I kind of feel like maybe some energy would be good around this. There's so much, but not a lot of them are standing out. I was going to say gas prices. Oh, yeah. Well, good luck luck with that one. Well, I wouldn't lower the gas prices. I'd just, you know, attract more money. Do something to... I mean, that would be an easier way probably to handle that. But also, what about like something to help and this would be, admittedly, this would be a big working, right? And this would probably be a working that one individual probably, if you tried to undertake this, you're probably wasting your time. But something to kind of help move us forward, to kind of help us move further away a little bit from our reliance on fossil fuels, about something like that. That yeah. would be maybe a way to kind of help address that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that would be like a long-term kind of a thing. Well, it'll be but... a long-term thing. <clears throat> you have to make sure that everyone yeah. had enough money for a fucking Tesla. Yeah, well, I, I would, my, it would be my hope that other cars would probably step up and that, in you know, because of the competition, there would be other options and that some of those prices would go down. Sorry, I needed some water. <clears throat> Something in my throat. Um, anyway. <coughs> okay. You okay? I'm good. Yes, thank you. I was just trying to, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. It's weird. Must be allergies. Um, is there anything that you're loving and or hating about our community right now? I know there is. You were uh, social media or, or, or Facebook ranting earlier. Here's the thing. There's, it's, it's both a love and a hate, okay, with this situation. I love that we have people who, particularly in our neck of the woods uh, in Utah, you know, obviously, it's Mormon capital of the world. That's just what it is. Um, and there are a lot of people in, who are leaving and moving away from the, the LES church. And, okay, cool. They're, they're seeing it for what it is, a big business that basically doesn't have your spiritual well-being in mind. They just want your money and want to keep old, rich, white folk alive. And that's what they're doing. Well, we, we, we like some old rich white folk. Yeah. If they're 
Democrats. Um, sorry, that was a, a Freudian slip. No, it wasn't. I'm, I'm a liberal. I'm, I'm, I'm a liberal, so got a problem with that. Fuck right off. Um, but I've, I've noticed, and I, I'm sure this is everywhere else in the world as well, but I think because it's so centralized here and I'm, and I'm here, there has been this mass exodus specifically of, and again, please don't take this the wrong way, listeners, <coughs> white women leaving the church. I was going to say, I think the majority of our listeners are probably white women. Leaving the LDS church and then immediately, immediately jumping into an alternative spirituality. Like okay. Wicca <clears throat> or paganism or witchcraft. Which is good. Which is good. But they're doing it and they're not taking the time to actually heal from the religious trauma or the cult, because that's what it is, that they just left. And so they're going into Wicca or witchcraft thinking it's going to be an easy breezy free for all whatever and then are wondering why it's so hard for them to progress. There are several people that I am connected with that some I would say are friends, some I would say are more colleagues or acquaintances who have done this. And without fail, they're celebrating the Wiccan will of the year. So, you know, the midsummer comes around and it's happy litha, blah, 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 blah. And they literally don't even know the historical context of where any of these things are coming from. And they're doing their inner goddess circles, which is great. I'm all for female empowerment. Obviously, I'm a huge fucking feminist. I mean, I, I work with the goddess of feminists. You know, she's she's mom. But they're running around burning white sage and wearing crystals and just completely misappropriating and whitewashing what they're going into because instead of doing any form of real healing or recouping from the cult they were in, they're just jumping into another cult. And it's very frustrating because I see this and the teacher in me goes, okay, I should probably reach out to them, you know? Mm -hmm. But then I step away because that's not my place. Without fail, they contact me. And, <laughs> yeah. and they contact me to ask me questions. And when they're not getting the, question, the the answers they want, which is, whatever you want, yeah, it's just free-floating, love and light, they get aggressive, they get upset, mm -hmm. and I'm then told that I don't know what I'm talking about, that obviously I'm not in connection with my highest good mm -hmm. or my highest self. Yeah, it's, that's, it's spiritual gaslighting. And it's frustrating because we Excuse even me. have these people who have then stepped into a position of quote-unquote leadership or elderhood in the pagan and witchcraft community, and they've literally been out of the church for four years, maybe, if that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have positioned themselves as high priestess or high priest of XYZ tradition, and they're doing this, 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 and this, yet they're still wearing their garments. They're still going to church on Sundays. They're still, they're still eating fucking Chick-fil-A. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're still doing all these things that they're now supposed to be against. Mm -hmm. 
but that's comfortable for them. So because it's comfortable for them, they stay there and they only access the actual things when it's convenient for them. And so when they're met with someone who has been doing this longer than them or has more education and wisdom around it than they do, and it doesn't sync up with what they think it should be or what they want it to be, yeah. it's, oh, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you're so young. Good for you. And it's like, <clears throat> listen, listen, Maria, not Maria, someone else, whoever, whoever the, whoever the fuck this is. I can't Who's even, Maria? Um, <laughs> I, I'm just like pulling names just out of my head. Pulling a random name. You know, just, <clears throat> listen. You just left the church two weeks ago. You're not a shaman. You're not a Wiccan high priestess, even though you know you've been a shaman and a Wiccan high priestess since you were a kid, but the church repressed it in you. No, the fuck you aren't. Mm -hmm. And then when you tell them, like, you're actually being really super disrespectful to the people who've done the work, yeah. and their response is, well, that's a you problem. Yeah. It's really frustrating. Yeah. And then... And then they decide that they're going to lead these mass healing circles for people who've gone through the same thing they have when they haven't even touched their trauma. Yeah. And then they, well, I'm a wounded healer. Yeah, the wounded healer thing really drives me crazy because that's that's a bullshit concept. And I'm just like... <clears throat> you cannot so, be a wounded healer. So you're a healer who has a hemorrhaging wound... But you're going to heal someone else, though you're bleeding out. Yeah, that makes no <coughs> sense to me. That's the that's the that's kind of the mentality there. And it's very frustrating because then it takes the legitimacy of individuals such as myself, you, Vlad, other practitioners that we know. It takes away our legitimacy because what they're projecting is much more shiny and sparkly mm -hmm. and. And super awesome when, in reality, people come to us and like, well, I have religious trauma. I don't know what to do. Is there a spell I can do? No, you need to go see a therapist. Like, you need to sit down with someone who, who specializes in religious trauma, and they can help deprogram and brainwash you. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that period of deprogramming after you leave it's so important. organized faith is, is it's vital. You, you, I don't. I, I, we, we, we say this to a lot of people uh, around this conversation when they approach us here or in our classes and things. You know, if you if you cannot do that, if you cannot do that, that period of time to heal, to deprogram, and to really work through some of that religious trauma. And if you're leaving organized religion, you will have religious trauma. Yes, you will. Absolutely. Um, no matter how positive that experience may be, you're still going to have religious trauma because you are going to have to deprogram probably years of belief. Mm -hmm. Well, and on um, top of that, you're going to still probably be connected somewhat to the people who are connected to your religious trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I think we actually have a student who went through, um, who left the Catholic church, mm -hmm. then jumped almost immediately into Gardnerian Wicca. And if they're listening to this and you can pick up that it's you and I'm getting your story wrong, please talk to me about it when we see each other next. Um, and then Gardnerian Wicca didn't work for them. Mm -hmm. And so they just completely stepped back from yeah. everything, mm -hmm. which probably was the best thing for them. Yeah. And that's yeah. what a lot of these individuals aren't getting. You're leaving an organized religion 
specifically the LDS church that demeans and diminishes women. Mm-hmm. Um, not only have you left the church, you have now probably also been in the process of a divorce because if your husband doesn't want to leave and you're leaving, then okay, there's an issue that's going to be a divorce. Mm-hmm. So you're going not only through a divorce of your faith, but you're going through a divorce of your relationship. And if you think jumping into a love and light burning white sage from some chick who wears patchouli to cover up her BO um, with dreadlocks that is aren't even gotten aren't even procured correctly that she literally just went to a hairstylist and had them lock her hair and she's been out of the church for a year and is now a Hayoka empath Muneki shaman Cherokee princess Blackfoot nation medicine woman Wiccan high priestess of the 90th degree in the Gardenarian tradition of Crowleyness all in a year and you're going to this person because they've promised they can fix you congratulations you've just left one cult for another and that's very sad for you because instead of honoring yourself which is the first rule of witchcraft and any other form of paganism honoring yourself enough to go I should probably like heal like I should probably seek some help for this and then just jumping right into another thing you're gonna come out more fucked up than when you left and I have several students who have now struggled with that I have a student who went from one organized to the religion to the next left that joined another cult left that joined another cult and then just hop skipped and jumped and now they're just like i don't know what to believe anymore and they're like tell me what to believe and i'm like i I can't tell you what to believe that's not my job yeah that should be no one's job in the community to tell you what to believe even when you join a coven of a particular tradition you're not told what to believe you're told this is how we do it here Mm -hmm. yeah so that's what's getting me i'm i'm loving that people are finding their sovereignty and leaving I'm disliking that they're being encouraged to do it in an incorrect way. Okay. Well, and that's always the problem, isn't it? There, there are always people that are going to find themselves kind of going down paths that are really probably not going to get them to where they, they think they're going. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so, and I absolutely get the frustration there. So. And, you know, you, you gave me a copy of, like, vague book posts. I'm like, it wasn't a vague book post because it wasn't necessarily about one person in particular. No, I get that. I get that. It was... Um, I think I said that because that's what you identified it as. Um, I did, didn't I? <clears throat> yes, you did. Oh, never mind. It was um, a Facebook post. Sorry. No, I get that. That is definitely a problem. So would it be fair to say from your rant just now, would it be fair to say that um, if you are going to seek out information from other people, if you respect someone's opinion enough, respect them enough as a person based on what you know of their knowledge and experience to actually approach them with a question they give you an answer that you don't like that you probably need to check yourself in that situation yes like you're not always going to get the answer you want that's that's not how anything works um and sometimes the information that comes to us particularly the information we don't want to receive is most of the time, what we really need. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a component of that healing, I think. If we look at processes of healing and deprogramming, you know, being given information that would run counter to what we've been holding on to, 
um, is that that's very much like that's that's a trigger to heal. Yes. Like this is like this is an opportunity. This is a moment for you to look beyond this limitation. Yeah. So okay. All right. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. All right. All right, well, I think this is an episode. Um, so I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us. So hopefully you, you hung out with us through the pro, or through the entirety of this episode. Um, if you have any questions on anything that we've discussed tonight, please contact us. Uh, you can reach us on Instagram. You can reach us on Facebook. Um, you can contact the shop, Cat and Cauldron, and ask us questions there. Um, and yeah, and if, if you have suggestions maybe for future topics, things you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast, let us know. Oh yes, please let us know. It's 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 not that we're struggling coming up with things to talk about, but it's kind of like, okay, what else can we do that we haven't covered? Well, I mean, I have a bunch of ideas, like like you know, that I've I've kept for future topics. But I'll, I'll be completely honest; I'm not entirely sure all of those are going to be topics that other people are as interested in as I am. You know, and in presenting this this information that we do on on this podcast, I, I like to make sure that whatever it is we're talking about is something that will be of value to our listeners. So, um, yeah, so let us know. Let us know. Um, and if you, you listen to us on a particular platform, go in and give us a like. Leave us a review. Like, follow, share. Yeah. And, we might have um, some awesome new things coming. That is, yes, that's true. We always have something in the works, don't we? So, all right, everybody, thank you so much. You will, uh, you will hear from us again in the next week. Thank you. Stay witchy.